0: And they're able to follow us on that journey of how we got to where we are today, because that's exactly how we learned in the beginning. We looked at other people's journeys, who we were kind enough to share it, and followed along and, and learned. I always believe that you don't have to make all the mistakes yourself. You mm-hmm. always learn from other people's mistakes, provided you're open-minded. You don't believe you know everything. Because the moment you feel that way, you've stopped learning.
1: You're listening to Ecomonics, a debutified podcast your resource for one-of-a-kind insights into the world of e-commerce and business in the modern age. This is Joseph. I'll be presenting a wealth of industry knowledge from interviews with successful business people and our own state-of-the-art research. Your time is valuable, so let's go. The foundation for my talk with Shashir Nagam is time, and how each day can build support for the next. In the span of a year, he and his partner Namrita leveraged their experience in portfolio management and an enthusiasm for home decor into a booming dropshipping enterprise. As of our interview, he still works full-time. And while he's at it, founded the Dropshipping Council, a premium community for top minds to come together and advance the industry. If you're wondering how he does it, you're not alone. But this next hour should help. Shashen Nagam, it's so good to have you here. Thank you. Thank you as well. I've had some time to learn about you in advance, but let's do the listeners a favor and tell us who you are and what you do.
0: (laughs) That's great. Thanks so much for having me on. So I, my name is Shushranigam. I've been operating together with my wife, Namrata. We have been operating our own e-com stores since 2019. Um, So 2019 is when we first got into drop shipping. We both still work our full-time jobs. So we're much more like regular employed people in that way. We still continue to do that till this day. So we're not not the typical college dropouts that uh, drop out and buy a Ferrari, <laughs> but we still have our jobs. But we just wanted to, to, to do something on the side that gave us more control. So that's sort of how we got started in drop shipping in 2019. Since then, yeah, it's been a quite a ride. We've crossed um, we've crossed a million dollar mark in terms of sales through our main store, and we're continuing to grow that and just getting ready for Q4.
1: Mm-hmm. working on a few other initiatives along the way. 2019, I, I think that's, that's I, I, not that it's a competition or anything, but I think that's the most recent entry into it. But so far, the window of entry has been really no more than like 10, maybe 15 years at the most, because a lot mm-hmm. of this is, is so new. Oh, yeah. So when you were getting into it, what, I mean, I guess for one, is how did you, h- how did it cross your path? And mm-hmm. what resources were you using to get started?
0: Yeah. No, that's a good question. Uh, you're right. the The space has been around for a long time, obviously, but I think it really picked up traction uh, more broadly in 2016, 2017, when I think AliExpress came around and allowed people to really start to drop shipping without having to buy in bulk. Mm-hmm. In, in in my case, we we my interest in, in e-commerce started as a seller. Uh, we'd always been buyers. So in twenty eight late 2018 is when we first bought our, our, our new home. And this was our first home. And we did about 80 to 90% of all of our shopping online for for the new home. And my wife is, is mm-hmm. amazing at finding the right stuff and getting things to fit and look look amazing. But at the end of it, my realization was, hey, we're spending a lot of money online. So why, why don't we explore the other side of the industry and try it out as a seller? Because obviously, you know, the e comm space is not going anywhere. So it's either you take advantage of it or you become the customer and you end up paying everybody else. So Mm. we first got started thinking, okay, let's, you know, maybe let's start exploring the home decor side because we obviously have a great um, eye for products in-house in my wife's uh, um, skill. (laughs) So why not utilize that Um, being the smart husband? So that was my initial motivation to, to start thinking. And we started looking around for options. Okay, home decor, how would you you know, source things, and you know, you start on YouTube, you start googling things, um, and then that's, of course, when you when I stumble across dropshipping as as a model to fulfill. And then, as you dive deeper, you realize, okay, it's not just you know home decor; there's a whole universe out there of potential products that you can look at, and you don't have to be confined to one niche. So that's sort of how we got started. And in terms of resources, there's tons of resources. Which are all majority free, all on YouTube. um, Tons of Facebook groups that one can join um, if you want to learn more about the space. And that's exactly how we got started. I didn't, I didn't really take up any, you know, paid course. um, And that was me being frugal on my part. Many people, as business owners, take that route and save time as opposed to having to collect from all the free resources. They just buy a course and pay for the education. Um, I took the free route, but, you know, still sort of came out okay, but probably took me longer than I would have with the course, but I, I took all the resources I could from YouTube and Facebook groups and such.
1: Right. And, and again, I mean, we're recording this in 2020, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure that it'll be released in 2020 as well. So even if it did take longer, you managed to make quite a, a significant amount of headway in the span of a year, while also becoming a homeowner yes (laughs) uh you know my 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 partner and i we just moved into a a two-bedroom apartment and we're it's it's like two three weeks in and we're still (laughs) you know trying to get uh, trying to set things up we've we've had several conversations about what to do with our tv in the corner (laughs) should we mount it oh no it's concrete i don't know if we can drill as it just goes on and on Mm -hmm. now you also set up your own uh, youtube channel uh, as I as I believe is like the tradition for uh, for dropshippers and e commerce experts at this point. I've yet to um, meet one who doesn't yeah. have at least some yeah. form of presence, right? Like a podcast or a blog, or, correct? Or or a TikTok. I haven't seen any TikTok uh, ones yet, but I know I'm sure they're there. they're coming. <laughs> and yours is uh yours is journey to freedom. Yes. So I I appreciate the term journey to freedom because it also is the mindset of. People being able to have more time to do as they please. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it obviously it completely eliminates work from a person's life, nor should it. Work is an important yeah. part of the human experience. Mm-hmm. So, was this a mindset that you've always had, or uh, was it more something that you developed as you were uh, getting into mm-hmm. e-commerce? No, um, I, I, yeah, yeah it just tell us what this was about as well.
0: Yeah, sure. It's it's a very good point. So. If you're bang on that. It's not about getting rid of work. Uh, it's not that at all. It, it's about getting into work which you can control, uh, that that nobody is telling you to do. Um, so again, we're we're not in the bucket of people who hate our jobs or anything like that. I I happen to work in finance. I like what I do, uh, but ultimately, yeah, somebody else still signs my paycheck. So I would mm-hmm. much rather over time get to the point where I decide how much I get paid, uh, and it's all dependent on my efforts and and. You know, skill. So it's that sort of where I've always had the motivation to to do that, um, to look for something where I I control a lot more of of my own finances, a lot more of my own time. I think most importantly, more important than mm-hmm. money and the work. I think is the time factor that you can control where and when you commit your time. So that's sort of where the motivation came from. And um, in terms of the channel, just because. In the beginning that's where we picked up a lot of our education i almost see it as a way to pay it back to the community so it, it we have a ton mm-hmm. of free resources uh, and education that shares our exact journey of how we started from ground zero which is where many people are and they want to grow to a certain point whatever their goal might be and they're able to follow us on that journey of how we got to where we are today because that's exactly how we learned in the beginning. We looked at other people's journeys who were kind enough to share it and followed along and, and learned. I always believe that you don't have to make all the mistakes yourself. Mm-hmm. You Always learn from other people's mistakes provided you're open-minded. You don't believe you know everything because the moment you feel that way, you've stopped learning. So even to this day, what happens a lot is we'll produce some content for our channel and we'll get a whole bunch of comments in response and I'm picking up things from there that I don't know. Uh, because, again, the, the e-com universe is not small by any means. Uh, there's mm-hmm. tons of experiences people have outside of your own little bubble, uh, and it continues to serve as a learning
1: resource for us even,
0: not just the content that people are watching.
1: And what's amazing to me, and you know, anybody who uh, is going to be listening to each and every episode is probably going to be a little... Uh, impatient with me ha- saying this to each guest, but I get to say it uniquely to each guest, but everybody seems to be contributing a piece to a bigger puzzle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't really seen, like, I haven't talked to anybody who I feel is trying to edge out somebody else, uh, in a competitive sense. Mm-hmm. How would you characterize what uh, contribution or what pe- actually I know what it is that you've contributed to the puzzle. Yeah. It's the dropshipping council. Whoa, mm-hmm. that is the best transition that I have done so far. <laughs> so let's talk about it. Sure. Uh, you were the founder of it, and I was lucky to talk to another member of the uh, Dropshipping Council. And you'll have to excuse my like my theatrical, artistic brain for a second, because there are a lot of almost Arthurian characterizations uh, between. Uh, we have like a, I don't know who, exactly if each person is on it, but there's like a wizard yeah. of ecom, there's a beast there's a king of ecom, <laughs> and the idea of all of them getting together at almost Arthurian ta- round table yeah. Uh, is quite an attractive concept, but uh, I suppose this would be a good time to bring me down to reality. So, mm-hmm. uh, tell us how you got the idea to do this, bearing in mind that this is all within the span of a year, by the way. Yeah. So, for it to turn into such a significant contribution within the span of a year speaks to your efficiency, I must say. Yeah, to be honest,
0: the, so the Dropshipping Council materialized actually only in July this year. That's when the concept uh, germinated in my head. And oh wow! I, I
1: I've been at Debutify longer than that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's,
0: that's impressive. Um, so so the the main motivation and driver behind that was quite simply the fact that as we as we scale through our own journey with our own stores, as I was mentioning, there's there's tons of resources for people who are starting off, or you know how to get your first sale and how to do product research and things like that. But there's very few resources for people who are above a certain level in the business. Like once you scale past the point where, you know, you know how to make sales, you know how to find like this, there's a general testing methodology, you crack that, okay, now this is a system. So once you go past a certain level, the peer group narrows pretty quickly, in terms Mm -hmm. of who you can learn from. And I always, I've always, I've always believed that you always want to look for people who are where you want to be three to five years from now, and mm-hmm. emulate their footsteps. And in the beginning, that's easy because there's lots of people who, who are in that position. But as you continue to grow and you scale past certain levels, that peer group gets very small very quickly. So that's sort of the motivation that I had to create something exclusive, which is not sort of an open Facebook group, but it's, it's mm-hmm. a very much more qualified group of mid to high level e-com store owners who have done at least a hundred K per month in sales. And hence you end up with a much more qualified group of people where uh, you're able to share, you know, insights at that level where you are, you know, things about how do you scale a business? How do you hire people? How do you, you know, systematize your processes so that they become repeatable? So it's a different level of conversation that Mm -hmm. is beyond the, things about, I mean, it's not that it doesn't talk, we don't talk about product research. No, we do. But the conversations are at a different level. And that was my motivation to create this peer group essentially for ourselves, first of all. And then we realized there's probably other people in the same bucket who are looking for that association because ecom com gets, it's a very lonely space. You, you don't often get to meet people and you don't have friends who understand what you're doing all day behind your laptop on your ads manager. So that community is where this all got started in, in July. We, we opened up applications and we reached out to some of the, the bigger names in the space, including Camille Sattar, Ricky Hayes, Peter Pru, who, who all have been very, very generous with their time with the community. And they're all part of our dedicated Slack community that we have, um, which is where we interact and we share. We have different channels inside Slack, essentially, that cover off the different topics, everything from product research to you know hiring and business management. So that's sort of where we got started, um, and yeah, in a couple of months, we've we've go- grown fairly quickly. We have more than forty members now. It is a paid community, and that's part of the qualification process. We don't want it to be a free resource because the amount of value that th- that it provides definitely is worth what you're paying for it. Um, and then you also we have more than twenty different partners now. Everything from you know SMS bump to to reconvert to lots of different apps, basically, that serve the e-com space. We're partnered with mm-hmm. them, so members get discounts and things like that. So really, my, my vision is to grow this continu- continually, not to like a 10,000-member community, but to a, a few hundred qualified people that can can continue to help each other um, you know, win, win the game, essentially. Not by stepping on somebody else, but by pulling each other up.
1: Mm-hmm. Have you either through your own uh, direct experience or maybe through some of the people that you've uh, talked to at that level has anybody actually found what the peak is or like what the ceiling is or what the yeah. actual limit is in the sky uh, to be honest there isn't there is none right that's the beauty right. that is the beauty right. of
0: the ecom space because every time you think you've you've hit the peak of what you can achieve you run into somebody that that has done what you did in a year in a month and I mean, just th- just two days ago, the, la- the latest two PEEP candidates that I spoke to who joined the Dropshipping Council and qualified to the process, they are doing several million dollars in sales you know, in a much shorter time frame. It took me a year, but they've been doing it in a much shorter time frame. And some of these guys have been in the business for years. They're, they are running companies, they're CEOs of that brand. So there's a lot to learn about how it gets there. So really, there isn't there
1: isn't um, a ceiling for sure. Okay, fair enough. I can you blame me for being curious about a question like that? Mm. Not at <laughs> <Yeah>. all. <laughs> so one thing that I'm wondering about is with the dissemination of information, because as you say, the collaborative effort among the minds is unprecedented. No, there's there's no one in having conversations like that anywhere else. At least as far as as far as you know, or as far as I know. Mm-hmm. But is there any system in place or is there a dialogue about how to then disseminate that information outside of the council? Yeah. Like if everybody disperses and then everybody just tells their people, like mm-hmm. if Ricky learned something, he would bring it to us at the Beautify, mm-hmm. you would bring it to your people and so on.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's no restriction whatsoever. And uh, like, no, we're ne- we've never told anybody that, hey, the content you share in here is only for our eyes only or anything like that. Um, so every, everybody's operating their own businesses with multiple partners. And yeah, like Ricky is a good example. He has multiple lines of businesses. So whatever um, he's able to pick up from other members in the community, uh, naturally he, he implements or shares in his other lines of businesses. Many people have, uh, like you said, their own YouTube channels and whatever tips and right. tricks they pick up, they can often share uh, on their own mediums wherever they are putting out their content so yeah I, many people do that people are running facebook groups on their own um and they're sharing tips and tricks within their community so it, it is quite open in the sense that uh because we're, we are sort of a sub community of these uh, uh people who are in a way influencers in their community uh, not only do ideas flow in ideas also flow out
1: right would you mind touching, however, so briefly as you feel is necessary on just some of the partnerships that you have? Uh, Debutify is one of the partnerships for yes, disclosure, that's right. um, but what are some of the other uh, ones here? And, and again, I guess going back to that, everything is a piece of the puzzle. My sense is when you're acquiring a partnership, it's, it's trying to fulfill a unique role that differentiates from the other roles that the other partnerships are, are fulfilling. Correct. Yeah. So some examples I can
0: give you, of course, Debutify was one of our first partners, and the way we have the partnerships working is they provide, in many cases, exclusive discounts to council members. So if they're not already use, utilizing their service, they will get that uh, discount that we have negotiated with them for council members. So we have, you know, agencies like uh, Kronos Agency. Kronos Agency is a is an email marketing agency based out of Singapore. And they, they are very well known in the space. They're a leader, definitely, in the email marketing space. And they're affiliated with us and they are providing, um, like in this case, $200 off on their services for interested council members. So if somebody has not uh, taken up or employed an agency for e- email marketing and they're considering that, then there's a benefit there. Other other sort of areas are like, so Spocket is, is a partner and that's a product research tool. Gorgeous is a partner, they're a customer service help desk. So it, it sort of goes on. There's about 20 different partners. Recart is mm-hmm. there. ShipBob is there for, ful- for fulfillment. Viral Ecom Ads is a, is a company many people have heard of that produces uh, video creatives for the Ecom space. So we have a relationship with them, a discount with them. Um, one interesting one is is with a copywriting agency. So that's, that's one area where I always thought that um, if we have a copywriter in the community, they can add tremendous value because in the dropshipping space, uh, we tend to just write stuff up and throw it against the wall. And if it sticks, you run with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not much thought put into, into copywriting. So I just thought if we have a have a copywriter who's in the community, they can really add a lot of value. And so we do have a copywriting agency as, in, as a partner as well. So the discounts is the first sort of area of collaboration. The second thing is, many of these agencies also have representatives who are part of our Slack community. So they serve as a subject matter experts in what they do. Other than just the members, you have these agency experts who you can also ask questions of. And then they're also conducting educational masterclasses exclusively for the council members on Zoom on like a whole bunch of topics. So every two to three, two to three times a month, we have these private masterclasses conducted for council members on Zoom. Everything from, you know, text marketing
1: to messenger marketing to everything else. That's impressive. And it seems to me that there is going to be quite the locking in effect where when somebody joins that council, it's almost a one-stop shop for everything Uh that they'll need at the level that they're working at Uh, between the partnerships and the information there's I mean, I suppose there's other places to go too, but it looks like you really got everything covered. That's the intention. Like there's, there's definitely other
0: other groups, for example, like th- there's a group called, community called Ad Leaks. Uh, and that's also ad a very leaks. popular community that is founded by Tim Bird. And he, he's a huge, very well-respected guy in the ad space. But that fo- focuses primarily on Facebook ads. My, my objective was dropshipping and e-commerce is not just about... Facebook ads. It's not just about media buying. It's about things like customer service. It's about, you know, how do you find the right products? How do you do how do you fulfill logistics? How do you find the right suppliers? So really this was, and there was nothing on uh, dropshipping or e com as a whole that covered everything, not just ads or not just some of the area. So that's where this, this sort of made sense to me to have one place where, yeah, literally every vertical that you can think of as an e-com store owner is covered. You have some resource that you can go to. And we're obviously continuing to add partners on board to to make sure we have it as full as possible.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, so I got one more question related to it, and this actually mm-hmm. came up, came up just from hearing what you're describing to me. I guess it's really more pitch than a question, but have you considered a almost like a feeder program or a means for aspiring people who don't mm-hmm. quite meet the criteria yet can join almost like a sub community? Yeah, you know, you picture the castle, and then you picture <laughs> the the city built around the castle yes. of the loyal subjects. <laughs> I have thought
0: about that, but to be honest, it's still a bit early in in this cycle. We're only sure. two months live. So I, th- I think we're still in the process of figuring out the mechanics and and how things are working within the community. And again, the, the goal of of this is not to make this super large again. Right. The goal is, is to keep it where, you know, if you ask a question, it doesn't get drowned out by 20 other questions and forgotten. So, you know, I, I think it's something I may consider down the road uh, to have maybe like a again, an open, open Facebook group or something where where the same members are part of the group. But again, it sort of then overlaps with what every, every other Facebook group does. So it, it's something mm-hmm. I have to put some thought into. Um, so not at the moment, but probably I'll, something I'll think about in the future.
1: Fair enough. Yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm a chronic pitcher. My, my belief <laughs> system is I always pitch a... You know, if if they, I actually get more alarmed when an idea gets accepted because then it's like, oh <laughs> no, what if you know what if it turns out to have been a bad idea yeah, not line. Yeah. So, how this is going to uh, unfold is, I've got some uh, background questions, some foundational yeah. questions for you, and then I also want to get into some of your processes and your strategies. Sure. So, your background prior to e-commerce is in portfolio management, mm-hmm. and and I asked this question: uh, how everybody's background informed what they're doing, and. The person I spoke prior to you was Paul Motley, yeah. who had a background in chemistry. Mm-hmm. And I was curious as to how chemistry would fit into all yes. of this. And he said, well, it was about the process and it was about understanding the workflow and breaking things down to their elements. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was fascinating. Mm-hmm. So how did your line of work in portfolio management, yeah. uh, what's the skill set that you picked up from it? Uh, how did mm-hmm. that enter? How did that help you as you entered the industry? Yeah.
0: Very good question and very yeah. relevant question. So. They in my case, um being in, in the having a finance background, just having a grasp of numbers obviously is useful in any business venture that you start. But um to give you a more specific example, in, in my case, for a year I, I was doing very active um, stock trading. So I used to actually trade in actual stocks, equities, and things like that. And that's a whole you know other discipline altogether. Uh, where you really have to be very careful about risk management and and your mm-hmm. losses and things like that. So what one major thing I did carry over over from that is in the dropshipping space, a lot of the processes in the beginning are about testing products and and then putting ad spend behind those tests. So one of my biggest earlier or earliest learnings was when to cut my losses and know mm-hmm. that a product is not working, so move on. So similar to to my stock trading days, it, it was, you know, I learned to be not emotionally attached to what I've invested in. Uh, and if the market's telling me something is not working, then just get out and figure out later why it did not work. Don't hold on to it and hope, no, no, it'll come back. No, no, it'll come back. Don't, you know, you, you'll lose a lot of money that way. So especially in the case where you have to test a mass of products, which is often the case in e-coms. In and drop shipping, uh, you you gotta have that ability to cut losses early, mm-hmm. and and then learn how to ride your winners. So that's the other half of it. You know, one half is the risk management: when do you cut your losses? The other half is how do you ride the profits and continue to grow them. So I, I mean, that would be my sort of uh, learning from my prior experience.
1: Mm-hmm. I want to touch on the. The emotional attachment issue, because I do remember I was reading about that. I'm uh, pretty sure it was your interview on Oberlo, but mm-hmm. I'm a who can keep track of this kind of thing anymore. <laughs> well, me for one, I should be. Anyways, so I also noticed that when you guys got into it, it came from a, a, a place of genuine enthusiasm because you're enthusiastic about the home decor process, mm-hmm. and uh, and your partner was uh, has quite the talent for it. So it sounds like there has to be a balance between something that you can derive organic energy from, aka passion, Mm -hmm. but not something that you would be almost blinded by emotion to the point where you're not making rational decisions. Yeah.
0: I mean, there's definitely an advantage to, for example, if you're a superb golfer, you've been golfing for 10 years, then yeah, if you pick that particular niche, you will know more about that than I do. Um, And if you choose to, you know, sell products in that niche. You'll you'll be much more educated, and you'll you'll be able to speak to your customers a lot better than I would. So, in that sense, you would have a lot more higher chances of success in that niche than I would. But the trouble is, in the ecom space, there's a lot of other factors that play into mm-hmm. it, not just your knowledge of the niche. So, what happens is the way the way I approach it is, I will even if it's a brand new niche that I I know nothing about, I'll try to learn enough about it to be able to speak the language at least. Um, And then, you know, I'm able to communicate better to my potential customers in that niche. So, you know, I'm not emotionally attached to that niche because it's not something I've been doing all my life. And the main thing is you, you just have to mentally differentiate that whatever you love and like may not be what the mass market loves and likes does not need mm-hmm. to be the same thing. And it's completely okay for it to be that way. So you may have a, have some, you know, you may be a fan of collecting, I don't know, Batman trivia or something or, or, you know, Batman puzzles, but many people may not be big fans of that. And that's okay. So you got to find over time what works for the market and then have the ability to learn enough about it so that you can communicate effectively uh, without, despite not having the emotional attachment.
1: Right. Yeah, because I can remember I've done a lot of like on the ground work, working brick and mortar. And one of the stores I worked at, there was watches in one part of the store and there were purses on the other part of the store. (laughs) Yeah, When I was in the watch section, I was in good shape. When I was in the purse section, there was tension there. There was pressure between (laughs) trying to sell something, which I had to sell to keep my job, Mm -hmm. but not really like... I can only be so passionate about something that uh, I, I couldn't even use on a practical sense, mm-hmm. which is too bad because some of those purses were pretty good, but I digress. <laughs> so just to make sure I'm understanding this, you're still working full-time? I am, yeah. So both me and Moe okay. still maintain our full-time jobs, um, and we're sort of running all our ventures on, on in our spare time, essentially you know, I mean, I know some people and not pointing fingers at me, but sometimes <laughs> even just like doing laundry and, and and getting some writing done in the same day seems a bit daunting. <laughs> so I I don't know if it's like it's a, actually it is a I'm sure it's a millennial thing. But anyways, how when I'm asking this, I'm a, I might be a little bit maybe more broad than I need to because a lot of it is also mindset and health mm-hmm. and uh, sleep cycles and routines and exercise and yeah. all of that I, I assume would fit in. But how did you manage your prior commitments while mm-hmm. also uh, running the, the operation and scaling the operation and decking out a new house. <laughs> it's, I mean,
0: I, I always feel that time is very flexible. You know, Jeff Bezos has the same 24 hours that everyone else does. Uh, right. And, you know, everybody is, is running running different different things. Bill Gates has the same 24 hours. So ultimately it's about how, what are you focusing on? Uh, and it doesn't mean that you, you should ignore any of your bigger priorities, but it's just that you got to have your priorities very clear in your mind and what they are. You know, if, if you're employed, obviously that's a priority. If you have a family, that's a priority. Your health is a priority. So e- even till this day, I wouldn't say that my business is comes above any of that. You know, my family, my health, my my job, That's those are all higher priorities than my business. But I, I know that, okay, if I'm devoting, Ultimately, my business will only give back whatever I put into it. Um, so I, despite the fact that, yes, I have other priorities, ultimately, I know I have to commit to some amount of time per day or per week into that venture if I want to get something out of it. And then the decision becomes, okay, how do I best spend that time? So over time, my effort has always been to try to systematize my efforts as much as possible so that they become repeatable. So I'm not spinning my wheels mm-hmm. every single time I want to want to find a new product. You know, there, there's a list in place, there's a system in place. And then over time, I think the bigger skill that I've yet to master is finding the right people who can then do that for you. Once you have systematized enough, then you can hire and outsource and then you're multiplying your time. Then it's not just your 24 hours, you are able to multiply your time and then it becomes a lot more about managing the team And how do you how do you run that run it as a business, not just as a one man operation?
1: You know, it's interesting uh, bringing up uh, Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates and how they have the same twenty four hours that all of us do, unless I think Elon Musk might have have figured out a way to perceive time a little bit uh, slower. So I think he actually manages like twenty four point five hours in a day, but I I can't I can't I can't back that up with anything even remotely approaching substantive evidence. But what's important is the 24 hours that they would spend on one day has to inform positively the next 24 hours mm-hmm. in the same way that it's more important to learn from other people's mistakes so that you don't have to spend time and resources uh, making those exact same mistakes mm-hmm. when you could have just uh, learned from them mm-hmm. with each day that the, the the value of the time can go from bronze into silver, mm-hmm. into gold, or, and then into platinum. Mm-hmm. You're like me and you think platinum is more valuable than gold. Yeah. So Over, would you say, I mean, in the span of a year, would you say you've been able to almost like refine or increase the hourly value of what you can do on a day-to-day basis?
0: Absolutely. I I think that happens with experience as you become an expert in anything, you know, and to be honest, these days you you can actually become an expert in anything you want to without having to go to university and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have dedication enough, you can become an expert in whatever field you choose and yeah as you become an expert you start differentiating yourself i've, I've always seen um you know i guess life's journey or, or being successful at anything as as how how much you can differentiate yourself from other people who are attempting the same thing and many many mm-hmm. times it just comes down to the amount of consistency that you can show uh the amount of effort you put in and the dedication and um, so when those three factors come in, then over time, your skill level will definitely increase in whatever you're doing. And if you're thinking differently enough, then for sure, you're, you will have made your time more valuable, you'll be able to do a lot more higher value activities with your time. And then over time, hopefully figure out a way to, to outsource the lower value activities
1: to folks mm. who are you who you can train to do that. I think I mean one thing that's uh, key to all of this too is your your partner and Amrata. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys really do seem to be uh, a terrific match. So much so that if you look at the YouTube thumbnails, both of you are pointing <laughs> to the object of interest, and I thought, oh wow, that's that's so that's so endearing. Uh, how did the the two of you uh, come together and yeah. realize you guys were going to be uh, so good together? So uh, I come from an Indian background, and we we met through
0: our families in India, and. That's sort of how we got got to know each other, and yeah, in a sense, we we connected through our families, and we saw the match there. She then immigrated to Canada to to, to obviously live with me, and and since then, you know, we we both sort of reaffirm every every day that hey, that was the right decision <laughs> to make. But yeah, there, there's a lot of commonalities, lots of common interests, and essentially a common long term vision to just have more control of our time. Ultimately, that, that's what it comes down to, uh, that as long as you, you don't need to have the same habits, you know, not at all, it's, it's almost impossible to have that, um, but be able to have a common long-term vision that you can then work mm. towards in your own individual ways. And you know, you'll, habitually, you'll be very different, your skill sets will be very different, but as long as that broader vision is there, then you know, hopefully in a
1: complementary way, you can get to that goal together. Mm-hmm. Do you guys see family as I know this is not very uh, economics related, but do you guys see yeah. family in your future? Uh, yeah, we, we do.
0: <laughs> we do. Definitely. I think that's, that's, uh, uh, you know, in, you know, you want to, you want to aspire towards that obviously, because beyond a certain point, it gets things get mon- mundane all, all you know, over time. So you, you want to keep things exciting. You want to keep things growing. You know, that's how life grows.
1: <laughs> Aha, you know, that's, I, I mean, I've obviously had conversations with other people by family before, but that's probably one of the, that's a really important insight it just because a, a child is in a constant state of growth mm-hmm. and it's a way to recharacterize time as the child continues to, to develop. Yes. I've, I've seriously never thought about that. Right. I, I I wanted to have kids prior to, but that still uh, helps out quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's get a little, uh, let's get a little, uh, brass tacks here. Mm-hmm. So. You mentioned it before that you have a system that you've been uh, developing, and I see the chart on o- Overload. So, yeah. if people want to go look at that interview, that they can certainly do that. But can you give us a rundown for your your system here on finding successful products?
0: Yeah, I, I think I would say that the the key factor is ultimately you have to recognize that you are marketing. If you are marketing primarily through Facebook, then you got to understand that folks who are scrolling their newsfeed are not actively looking to buy anything. They're just passing right. their time. So the biggest thing then becomes grabbing their attention enough to make them click on your, on your ad brings them to the product and then you take it from there. So even, even before the quality and, and the customer experience, it, it's all about the very first in, interaction that your customer has with your Product advertisement. So the product choice itself has to be catchy enough uh, that it attracts that attention. Uh, because if it doesn't, you may have the most wonderful product, but if your if your ads or if if it's not eye catching enough, none of that matters uh, because nobody's going to click on your ad. So that's sort of where the starting point is in terms of product research. You want to be able to find a product that you know is unique and eye catching or has some sort of a problem solving uh, ability. So problem solving is is another pain point. If you can uncover a pain point that your product can solve, that's another big motivation that will drive a user on Facebook to say, oh yeah, that's a problem I maybe didn't even realize I had. Uh, And yes, this product solves it for me. It's worth clicking on to learn more about it. So I think that would be the first sort of starting point when you're looking for products. Um, and then what we did was we, we said, okay, let's, as through our experience, we developed this sort of a four stage process. I think that's what you're looking at as well. So mm-hmm. starting, once you have the product in mind, then you start thinking about, okay, who do I then target with this product? Who is the audience that can, um, that is the most marketable? So if you're selling, I don't know, you, if you're selling pet products, then that's a very common, common niche. Then... Does your product appeal to particular type of pet or, or category of pets, or is it really broad appeal? Things like that. I know one particular product that really took off was this nail grinder thing that helps pets to, you know, pets have a hard time uh, cutting their nails, getting their, getting their nails cut. So there's like a pet mm-hmm. nail grinder thing, uh, which has a rotating thing on the top and it just grinds the nail as opposed to cutting them. So it makes for an easier experience. Now, to use that as an example of a product choice, it's a problem-solving product for sure. Now, target audience could be, yeah. So then you think about who could you be targeting? Is it only cat owners? Is it only dog owners? How big is each of those segments? Are they too broad? Are they too thin? So that's where with Facebook ads, it gets down to a lot of just testing. There's no right or wrong answer. Nobody's going to say, oh, you know, this ad, this, this audience will not work. Um, you just have to test it. And just keep on testing smaller audience, test broader audience. But ultimately, y- you want to be able to understand the end customer and what their problem is and speak to it. As long as you're speaking their language, you'll most likely relate to a pretty broad audience. So that would be the second step. The third step is just add effectiveness. So if you've got your product choice down, you you think you have your product, you have your target audience down right, but you're still not getting results. It's probably because your ad's not very effective. You know, you're targeting the right people with the right product, but you're not saying the right stuff. Mm-hmm. You're, maybe you've not understood your audience pro- properly. You, you are uh, not using the right words. And maybe the, if you're using a video ad, the video ad's boring. Uh, it has to be engaging enough, again, to, to catch your attention. So that's the third sort of variable in the chain, the ad effectiveness. And then the last one I have on here is your actual website conversion. So that's the last link in the chain, but equally important. If you have figured out the three things, you got the right product, you got the right audience you're targeting and your ads good enough to make people click on your ad and come to your page. But if they're still not buying, then okay, something's probably wrong with your website. So, you know, maybe it looks too spammy. Maybe you're charging too high. So there's a whole bunch of variables you got to go through now on your website end to figure out and eliminate what the issue may be. So you, I, I sort of use this logical process to find and eliminate and fine tune mm-hmm. my my product selection process, essentially.
1: One thing I wanted to uh, touch a little bit more on was the ads themselves. And again, full disclosure, Ricky, he, he's, he's teaching myself and he's teaching Connor, our YouTube uh, associate. He's, he's giving us a lot of insights into it. So it's not as if I haven't seen or haven't had been instructed on it, but I I still want to get other people's opinion on it. Yeah. too. The first three to five seconds for a Facebook ad, what needs to be accomplished for it to get somebody to stop moving their thumb? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, if only there was an app
0: that could actually make somebody's thumb stop moving, that would be a fantastic one for Facebook advertisers, but. Yeah. Well, there's arthritis. So, not, yeah. <laughs> so the scroll stopper, uh, exactly as you said, the first three to five seconds. Oh, scroll stopper. Um, yeah. It is, is the make or break uh, for Facebook ad creatives. So typically for problem solving products, usually what's recommended, and again, there is no hard and fast rule, but generally what's recommended is, hey, you got to showcase the problem quickly. And then immediately show how your product is solving the problem. So it shouldn't take you more than five to 10 seconds to to do that. So that right away catches somebody's attention if they are encountering that problem. If it's more of a unique type of product, doesn't really solve a problem, but it's just something people may not have seen before, then yeah, make sure that throughout your video, the most eye-catching thing is the first three to five seconds. Make sure you do your editing or get an editor to do that for you such that the most eye-catching aspect is in the front of the video. And then, yeah, you can go into your story and explain what's going on. Now, off late, what has worked a lot better with Facebook, and that's why Facebook is constantly evolving, is something called uh, user-generated content, UGC, they call it, which is mm-hmm. more to do with customer testimonials. So if somebody has a phone camera up in their face and they're recording essentially a selfie video, and talking about your product and how it changed their life, that is also very engaging because just human psychology is such that as you're scrolling past and somebody's looking you right in the eye and talking to you, you want to listen. And of course, if it relates to a product that they have an interest in, all the more they'll try to listen. So those would be the sort of the two or three suggestions for the for the scroll stopper that you want to have.
1: With the user-generated content, I just want to get a sense of the the origin of that video, would this be something that you would encourage people to make, say, on their website, or if they're signed up for the newsletter, and you would entice them to do it? Or have you found that people are actually just doing this organically? Like they're so happy about the product, they go onto their Facebook page, and they just do a video? Yeah,
0: it's very rare that it happens organically, unless unless you're a massive brand or something. It's very Mm -hmm. rare that, that it happens organically. Most of the time, it does need to be incentivized. So, you know, don't, obviously it's not about, you're not bribing your customers, but you're encouraging them to give their honest opinion, but give them, give that opinion in the format that you prefer. So that's the reason for the incentivization. So if you have a mailing list of customers, then, you know, there are ways to filter out your most, your VIP customers, right? So who have spent the most with you or who have placed the most repeated orders. Now, you know, that subset is the most loyal to you because otherwise they won't be buying again from you. So that's the most important audience to reach out to and say, "Hey, you know, we would love for you to to create a short testimonial video for us. Here's a discount of an extra 20% off the next time you shop with us, uh, and here are some guidelines that you can use and we'd love your honest opinion on how you're finding this particular product, and these are some guidelines on what, you know, how we suggest you can frame your video. You know, you you can start with your experience, you can talk about the features, whatever." so that that serves as a it creates like a directory essentially a library of content for you in response to that campaign which then you can utilize in your ad creatives
1: i'm also wondering if there if there's any way to help foster a community around it now it might in the community it might not be a community around necessarily you know the Pet grinders or or neck collars yeah. or neck braces or something like that, but on a more fundamental level, it has. I guess it would have more to do with the brand because the brand promotes an idea. Mm-hmm. Is this something that you've implemented into your strategy? Have you yeah. tried to build communities of people? I mean, at this point, now you're talking about customers mm-hmm. talking to each other. Correct. Yeah. No, we have. Uh, we have definitely gone that route.
0: So main through through 2019 and and now we just. I mean, to advertise, you need a Facebook page first of all. So that's where you do. I didn't know. Okay. Yeah. So you need a business page essentially to start advertising because that is where, when somebody sees an ad, it'll, they'll know which page it's coming from. Now that itself, uh, kickstarts your community building. So people may like your page. People may comment on your, on your video, things like that. So that already creates a small subset of community there. Um, and then what we started doing was we started sharing content on our Facebook page. So that then creates a bit more engagement. It's not just people seeing an ad and going to your website. They have a third forum on Facebook where they can share content, not share content, they can view content that we're sharing. And then in the comments of that content, again, people are interacting. So, you know, it's just about providing value, right? Just just like how your, your product provides value. There's many other ways to also provide value through content. You know, if you're selling a product, share content about how to use it effectively. Things like that. So definitely it's something that you should try to do if you're marketing products, because it creates more loyalty, you know, in many ways, some people say that it even helps Facebook promote your products better because they recognize that you have an active and engaged
1: follower community. So that's supposed to even help your, help your ads. Is there anything in specific that somebody can do? And I think you, I think this, the answer might've been, uh, promoting your content, but I just want to make sure. To get those first few commenters going, because one of the hardest things uh, when there's no one mm-hmm. asking anybody else to dance, yeah. <laughs> you really need like someone brave to walk yeah. from one side of the room to the other to ask somebody to dance. Exactly. So this this is an interesting, the exact
0: same challenge we faced within our Slack community in the Dropshipping Council, because yeah, brand new community. And in the beginning, everybody's a fly on the wall. So how do you engage people? so what we tried to do in the inside of the community is we had these topical days so like today monday monday is Conver- conversion rate optimization monday so everybody you know throw out any tips and tricks you know about conversion rate optimization and ask all the questions you want on this topic tuesday is facebook ads tuesday all the problems and topics on facebook ads so it it that's one way to to engender and encourage communication by giving something people can talk about, right? So you obviously share your own content, but then you can also encourage topical discussions by, you know, encouraging people to talk about something. You can ask them, hey, where are you guys from? We'd love to understand where our customer base is from, you know, comment below where you're from. So that it's more, once people get posting a few times, that sort of crosses the initial hurdle, then they're more
1: active in the community. Excellent. And then also too, I guess if people are, Buyers first, because usually I would imagine someone buys a product first before they get that enthusiasm to then participate in the community. So Mm -hmm. I can even see something like posting reviews. Hey, this is a, this is a review that we got from our website. You know, just want to thank, tag the person. Interesting. I have a couple of other maneuvers that I have learned from reading some of your writing. Mm -hmm. One of them is that you have a specific upselling strategy Mm -hmm. that you, you and your partner seem to lean more towards the post sale upsell Mm -hmm. rather than the pre sale upsell. So let's hear your opinion on that and what yeah. strategy you use in specific.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's something I've been quite vocal about because it's, I feel it's like a make or break for most e-com businesses. And and the main subject of the matter is average order value. If you're, if you can find ways to bump up your average order value, then you can be much more profitable and it can make a losing product a winning product if you can bump up the AOV. So the ways to do that is yeah one way is pre-purchase upsells the other way is post-purchase upsells So pre-purchase is when somebody adds a part to the cart and they see like a little pop-up that comes up and say hey uh, we noticed you add, added this to your cart do you also want this other product to go along with it So that's a pre-purchase upsell and then they they choose whether they want to do it or not and then they go on to complete their purchase and a post-purchase is you know customer adds something to the cart nothing interrupts them they buy what they came to buy. And then after they've bought that thing or item, then you show them, oh, hey, we saw you just bought this item. Would you like to buy this as well because it's a complimentary product and we, here's a special discount that we can offer you because you just bought this from us. And then it's a simple one-click add-on to their original purchase. So my my lean is towards the second approach primarily because... Uh, I'm not interrupting the customer journey with a post-purchase upsell. With, there are ways to do it with a pre-purchase upsell such that you don't interrupt it. And those are also effective. I've done that before myself. They're called mm-hmm. in-cart upsells or you know order bumps where you, there's no pop-up involved. It's just much more integrated into your website. Um, but ultimately, the, there's something called sticker shock. I think that's a, the term for it, where a customer sees their eventual checkout total and right. the sticker shock that they get at the end is what often determines whether they go on to buy or not. So if your goal is, let's say, to have an average order value of $50, and that is what will make you profitable, then I find a more effective way to do that is to sell an upfront product of about 30 bucks. And then once they've bought the $30 product, upsell them the $20 product after the fact. Because the sticker shock of something that's $29.99 is a lot less than something that is $50. Uh, but your your conversion rate will, will end up being a lot higher, is my point. If you sell if you sold the $50 product up front, your conversion rate will be let's say 1%. If you sold the $30 product, I can bet you it will be higher. And then once you add on the the the, the second product after that, you'll end up with a similar average order value. And the biggest sort of takeaway in my experience has been that when you want, the the best point to upsell a product is when the customer trusts you the most. And that is when they have just bought something from you. They've given you their credit card info, their their address, they've trusted you enough to do all that. So they're most, in a way, open to hearing
1: more when they've just bought something from you. You reminded me of uh, one uh, experience that I had that uh, it wasn't, Post buy, it was really during the checkout process. Mm-hmm. What you reminded me of was this, because I'm a I'm a, I'm a big fan of sleep. Like I, I got earplugs, <laughs> yeah. sleep mask. I, I I've been trying to stick to my schedule, come uh, come hell or high water, mm-hmm. and and I went onto to Sleep, and their advertisement was yeah. was largely the the, the patented uh, foam cover sleep mask. So I add that to cart and I'm ready to go to checkout. And that's when they, I got to like the impulse area yes. or like they took me on a tour of the rest of the store. Uh-huh. Cause I was wondering about that. Like, so they're just going to sell this one sleep mask, huh? Uh, at that time, I hadn't really seen like single product stores. Yes. And then, oh, now I get it. Now I see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Cause the next thing was these, these cups that you could freeze yes. that you would remove, put onto the mask, like kind of like the beanie cups. Yes. And then they would uh, do stress relief. Correct. Uh, I've used them, you know, seven or eight times. Uh, and then the next one was like a lavender thing. And then it kept going and it kept going and it kept going. And I was getting exhausted because I was like, okay, well, how many more things am I going to want to add to the cart? Uh-huh. And I hadn't purchased yet, mm-hmm. but I, I mean, this is just my opinion, but my, my thing speaking as a customer and as a freaking one at that is after I've spent the money, I do feel that sense of like, okay, the pressure hasn't built in the tension has been mounting. Mm-hmm. Am I committing to this? Okay. It's bought. Yeah. I'm <laughs> spent yes and then and then for the upsell to come back and says you want to go for another round I'm like oh no so how do you is there anything that you do or to I guess keep people at ease yeah. once they've uh, given the money and yeah. how do you incentivize them to be ready to go for round two
0: No, that's a great point the exhaustion is definitely a, a big deal because you you have to lay out the expectations so one one thing that I make sure I do on my post-purchase upsell page is indicate, hey, congrats, you just secured your order. So, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. that part's done, but now here's an exclusive deal. And it's a, it's a one page, you just, it's one click. Either you take it or you don't take it. And if I happen to have a next upsell, then I'll clarify, okay, last exclusive offer. So they know, okay, yeah, there's an end coming. The, you know, if you want to make it even more, more explicit, many people do step one, step, step one of four, step two of four, step three of four. So then it's right. a lot more predictable and it's not an open-ended journey of, you don't, the last thing you want is the customer just hit the cross button on the tab because they're done and they don't know when this is going to end. So it's, you want you want to give them that predictability that, okay, this is step two or four, three or four, four or four. That's great. Thank you so much. You know, so that's, that's the way I tend to address that exhaustion aspect. Um, and the main thing is also, the security that even if a customer drops out in my post-purchase upsell process, I still have their first sale. So that's, that's right. the benefit, because if somebody drops out in a pre-purchase upsell phase, I don't have anything. Um, so that's also another benefit I find on the post-purchase process.
1: I, I will say that it's been a while. And I mean, I, I bought that sleep mask even before I, I joined with Beautify, So mm-hmm. I didn't understand it as intuitively as I do now. So to their credit, maybe they did do the, you know, one of two or, or three or four. Yeah. So I will give them, I will <laughs> give them that. One of your other strategic maneuvers is you knew that when you had found something that was a winner, mm-hmm. you knew that other people were also going to try to get in on it. Mm-hmm. And how you gained an edge was you emphasized the importance of quality customer service. Mm-hmm. So. We all know how important customer service is. So that part, we don't have to uh, use up any of our uh, oxygen on, Mm -hmm. but I do want to know about the micromanagement and I mean, how much time it took in a day, what apps and services did you use and communication wise, what dialogue or what tone did you take to not only provide good customer service, but customer service that continued to give you an edge over the competition? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, no that's a very good question and very relevant question to e-com especially because these days even in I mean in my own purchase experience anybody gives me a bad experience and that's it <laughs> because yeah. you know I'm never going back to them because there's so much choice right there's so much choice there's so many vendors of of products that you don't need to be loyal to any one product and so people are much more twitchy than ever in terms of their brand loyalty so it's you know any money that you spend, improving the customer's experience is probably the best money you're going to spend in your business. So mm-hmm. the, the way that we, we focused on it was, we right from day one, we made it a priority. So one of the first hires that I had on my team was a virtual assistant who was focused solely on customer service. So in Q4 of last year, when we were getting 50 or 100 emails per day from customers asking, hey, where's my order? We were making sure that we we're replying within 24 hours, because mm-hmm. that is you know the maximum patience anybody has before they'll go onto your Facebook page and say, "I've been emailing them forever, and the forever is like 12 hours." And you know they've <laughs> never gotten back to me. So it's really staying on, to, and it's not so much about meeting their expectations, which are often unreasonable, but it's more about being in communication constantly. And just getting back to them, you know. So right throughout our our sales, we we didn't offer like two day shipping like Amazon or something. We had two to four week shipping times, which is something you know that I'm trying to improve on. But we had two to four week shipping time. But despite that, we had a 4.9 out of five Facebook feedback score. That was I attribute that primarily to keeping customers informed. So I never hid the fact that oh they're going to have to wait that long. No, I made it. I actually made an effort to make sure they know it before they buy it, um, so they, they, the expectations are set right. And then the effort on the back end was, if anybody asks further, then we're getting back to them quickly and just informing informing them that hey, we're doing everything we can to get this to you. So the tone is always, hey, thanks for reaching out. You know, we understand this may be a very it's, it's it's we understand um, how it feels to be waiting for a product to arrive in the mail. We're customers ourselves and things like that. So Mm -hmm. you want to make sure that they feel that you know what they're going through. So the empathy has to be there. So if there's anything I can summarize, it's empathy. Be empathetic in your tone, uh, regardless of how angry you may actually be, that cannot come across. So you got to show empathy and just communicate that, hey, you know, we're facing some issues. We're facing some shipping hurdles because of COVID. You know, we really appreciate your patience and we're trying everything we can to get the product to you. So it's just about that constant communication. Most people um, automatically tone down themselves when they read an email like that, saying, hey, you know, we're really sorry, we're trying the best we can. You can, mm-hmm. and always end off with, if you have any other questions, feel free to reach out anytime, you know, so they, they know it's an open channel. They don't, they don't feel like, okay, that's it, we're not going to respond anymore.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, so you reminded me of uh, one story that I'll tell very briefly, and then I'll uh, I'll give you a wrap up question, which is my time as a VA, and I'm contractually obligated not to like, yeah. <laughs> talk about the company that I worked with. Not that it was a good company. I don't have anything really negative to say. But there was some consideration that has to be taken into ego. And by that, I mean, the products that we were uh, working with were ticketed in the $9,000 mm-hmm. or 9,000 pound Right. Uh, mm-hmm. s- s- I think like the lowest that we had were maybe like $1,200, $1,300. Mm-hmm. So when I'm, I'm talking to, to the customer on the phone and I say, you know, I, I'm a customer too. I know what it's like to be frustrated. You know, I spent $100 on the, on this big book, and I'm waiting for. So you know what it's like to spend $5,000 on a watch and not get it in time for a wedding.
0: Yes, the, if they've spent that much, they they feel they own you. Yeah. Yes, it's it's a fair point. You gotta somehow suck it in and not hurt hurt their ego because that's the ultimate. That's the last thing you want to do
1: <laughs> yeah i mean you, you have to recognize and and, and the ego might come across as a bit derogatory but it is it is fair to understand that when people are active at a certain scale yeah. they they're, they're they have every right to treat their time as precious yes yeah. uh, and and the
0: other so thing also, so I, I
1: recognize that yeah the other thing they also realize is if you met these people in person
0: they will not behave the same way they'll probably be a lot more kinder and most of the time just because they're behind a screen and not in, face, in in person it gives them the license to be that way which is just part of the way the 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 you know things work these days social media yeah. you you don't need to put your face to it
1: and that's why i think if we get to a point where sales agents can even even cold even customers that are just calling in even if they have the option to do a video chat mm-hmm. that would prob- that alone uh, I, I, when i started of started doing these recordings i didn't we didn't have videos, but now we're just uh, having the video on so we can see each other's face. Yeah. And the first ones before the video were fine. I'm not saying they were bad <laughs> or anything, but it, it really does help. Yeah, correct. just being able to connect with somebody, especially in this time where people are not getting to make the connections correct. that they want to make. I have a friend; he wants he's trying to plan a wedding, mm-hmm. and his wedding party is so big that it actually nearly surpasses our COVID gathering yeah. restrictions. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So i'm uh, I'm gonna let you go. I got one wrap-up question for you, which sure. is for people who are uh, keen and inspired and they uh, wanna and they want to get going. What do you recommend that they do first to get involved with you, uh, to engage in your content, and as well as to just get engaged in the industry? Mm-hmm.
0: To be honest, in the beginning, it's just about becoming a sponge. Uh, you know, absorb as much as you can. Uh, but also, you know mentally have a have a checkpoint where you say, okay, this is the point. At which I will transition from absorption into action. Uh, because oftentimes, with the amount of content that's out there, it's very easy to feel that, oh, I still don't know everything. And you never get to that point. I, like, I'm still not, most of us will never ever get to that point where you know everything about the space. So don't keep that as a goal before you start acting. So, initially, yeah, absorb the things you need to know. But as soon as you can, start acting because the action is what will make you. Uh, a much faster learner, and things will make a lot more sense the moment you start acting. So, mm-hmm. you know, use YouTube, use Facebook uh, to 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 capitalize on all all the free content that people put out, including our channel. But just make sure that you actually do something with it, right? That's that's the biggest difference between like knowledge on its own is useless. You got to do something with it and act act on it. So, that would be my encouragement. And yeah, you can you can get in touch with us through through our our youtube channel Uh, we also have a link there to our facebook group which you can join and obviously interact with us directly there if you happen to be at a point where you're already you know hitting 100k per month in sales through your business then definitely we'd love to have you apply to the dropshipping council just go to the dropshippingcouncil.com check out the application criteria and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll love to see you inside the community
1: terrific well, guys, I think you know what it is you want to do next. But for you, uh, Shashir Nagam, your time has been wonderful. Thank you for sharing it with us and thank you for the information. Thank you for everything you've done today. This was this was a lot of fun. I'm glad we can have this talk. Likewise. Thanks so much for having me on. You might have found this show on many number of platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you. So whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at debutify.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, Head over to debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next.